Thank you for choosing OECD podcast. Welcome to OECD Podcasts. I'm Clara Young, and I'm sitting backstage at the Theatre Odeon in Paris with Alexander Zeldin, who wrote and directed Love, a theatre piece co-produced by the National Theatre of Great Britain and Birmingham Repertory Theatre, and which is now being adapted for BBC Two. I think the program notes explains this play very well. Love depicts the downward spiral of economic precariousness and all the instability that goes with it. It shows the deficiency in the system of social care and the negative effects of austerity politics. So just for our listeners who cannot see the play, the story takes place in a temporary shelter in the present-day UK a few weeks before Christmas. The audience sees on stage the kitchen and common area. Opening onto it is a washroom on the left and two bedrooms. In one bedroom lives a 50-something man named Colin and his elderly mother, Barbara. Colin is unemployed, and they have been there a year. In the other bedroom are new arrivals, Dean, who is also out of work, his two middle school-aged children, Paige and Jason, and Dean's partner, Emma, who is expecting. The other people we encounter in the shelter are Tharwa, a Sudanese refugee woman, and Adnan, who is from Syria. I want to start with an audio excerpt from the play, and afterwards, Alexander Zeldin, you can tell us what's going on. I had to go to the food bank. Okay. Uh, you said we'll be all right? No, I know. Okay. That's what I had to do. They've cut the money, and we have to stay here till it starts again. We haven't done anything. No. no. Is everything okay, Dad? Everything's fine, babe. Alexander, tell us what's going on in this scene. In the scene that you've just heard, Dean returns to this place, the B&B, the hostel, shelter, from having visited the council where he's been told that he... The job centre, forgive me, not the council, the job centre in this case, in this particular scene, where he's been told that he's been sanctioned for not attending an appointment on the day that he was being evicted from and went to the housing department in order to try and receive what's called emergency housing and because of this situation and his subsequent kind of loss of funds he's had to go to what to a food bank okay so a food bank is something that over a million people a year in the united kingdom which is one of the richest economies in the world are using now recent studies suggest that something like 25 percent of the population of great britain is living on or below the poverty line According to the Institute for Fiscal Studies in London 2018, the local governments have suffered about a one-fifth plunge in revenue since 2010. So that's just one statistic that um, underpins what, we are, what we're seeing in this scene. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think that, that expression you just used is actually quite, quite a helpful point to, to kind of talk off from, which was that what underpins... Now, now, just to be clear, like my profession, I'm a dramatist. I'm not interested in polemic. I'm not interested in documentary. That's perhaps something that a journalist is better equipped to do. What, what I'm interested in doing is showing, uh, rather, being in the present time with people living through a very particular set of circumstances... So the circumstances that I've chosen to represent in my work are those of these people living in what can be described as great fragility and great precarity and in a context where they are really kind of pursuing that endless sort of very traditional story of the individual's struggle with the system, the invisible system. 
And that's something that is at the heart of a lot of drama and at the heart of our condition as human beings, is how do we live? How do we care for one another? What is the fabric that we wish to bind our society with? So in answer to your question, what's really going on here is a father is bringing back food. He's been to a food bank, which is a very humiliating experience, okay? And the people that run food banks, there's very different types of people that run many different types of food banks, but by and large, to the many, many that I've been to, extraordinary volunteers that run food banks, often themselves in a situation of great fragility and great need, who are, despite all this, you can get, um, you get a form that you get given to, by the police, by a local charity, by your GP, when you're hungry and you can't feed your family. This is a father returning who can't feed his family. These are based on research that you've done for how long on this piece? Between two and three years. I've been able to, through the collaboration with the actors and the rest of my creative team, and we've also brought into the process a number of people who are living in these situations to be part of this work, but not just in a sort of quick way, but over a longer period of time. Can you tell me about the people that you worked with? Yeah, so I call it kind of immersion. because So what I did is I collaborated very closely with a very wonderful man called Bill Rashley, who's the head of investigations at Shelter, which is the biggest housing charity in the United Kingdom. And Bill was able to introduce us to several people who've since become friends who were living in these environments. And we would bring in, I would go and stay in these hostels myself and, and visit many different types of hostels and really absorb the kind of atmosphere. But also actually bring people that were living in these hostels into the rehearsal room to work as an equal creative partner for a period of a few days at different times where they would be improvising the scenes themselves or directing or taking it different turns. And this allowed their kind of voice to be part of the fabric of the piece in a way that I think, I hope, is sort of felt. What was the most recurrent thing that they would say to you when, when they would be critiquing the writing and saying, oh, well, this is true, or you need to put more emphasis on this? What, what did you hear the most often? It's a very good question. I think that actually the dominant thing was just the fact that there's no privacy. What's interesting, if you want to analyze it, which is not really my role, it's perhaps yours, is to say that you know what they would say, a lot of people would say, I'll tell you this, one thing that gave me the title was something that someone said. So it was a wonderful man who I met in Birmingham who'd lived with his alcoholic mother who was suffering, who died in this room, in which was also his schizophrenic brother who he was caring for. So you've got to understand that in this case, this was a, somebody who is a kind of a generational kind of deprivation that's gone on, right? And this guy said to us something extraordinarily clear. He said, you know, when you have really nothing, it's when you feel love most strongly. And you could feel that's a very simple sentence. And when I say it, perhaps it lacks the real depth and truth and quality of feeling that could be felt when he said it, okay? And so that, for me, was really the subject that interested me. I wanted to make a play about a family in crisis, an inner crisis, as much as an outer crisis. I'm not interested in describing austerity or poverty or political situations. I'm interested in intimate life. Really, I believe now that the theatre for today has to be a theatre that disturbs and disrupts and, above all, brings us face-to-face -face with um, the reality of our society in its true guise, but not just as a form of documentary, but to talk about love, faith, hope, charity, kindness. What, and to answer, really, is to, to not to answer, but to rather live questions like, what is love? That's really all I must, I'm trying to do in my work, is to live these words that we put so boldly in the title. 
What about the situations that pushed them into having to stay in a temporary shelter? What were the stories that preceded their arrival there? Such an excellent question. So actually, the truth is, there are so many different types of stories. I mean, it's very, very easy in the United Kingdom to become homeless. People are two paychecks away from it. There are studies that suggest this. Some simple examples are just people that suddenly um, the landlord sells the house and they've been there for five years and then since the prices have gone up and the kids are in a school and they don't want to move from the school in the area and there's, they try and get somewhere else but they're receiving benefits and no one will take benefit claimants despite you get housing benefit, you can't spend on housing because no one will, none of the private landlords will take housing. So you go to you know, try and find some kind of social housing or, so, or supported housing. That's impossible because there's none. The waiting list in some local authorities are up to 25 years. That's a lifetime. That's a situation that's quite similar to people that I've met in other in refugee camps that have been in refugee camps for 25 years. So there's a kind of purgatory that I wanted to capture. And I think it is a feeling of lives lived in waiting that is the result of the system that we live in today, the faceless system. Put it this way, how we manage to live with the knowledge, intellectual knowledge, of the suffering of others. Because we know all about it, but it doesn't really touch us. It doesn't really change our inner makeup. There's a reality that economists have been talking about now for many years, and which is now, I think, the mainstream society is starting to understand is is acute income inequality. The people that you talk to, what are their thoughts on that? Do they think people have no idea what they're going through? Do they feel indignant? Um, Yes, I think. But there's also something that you need to understand, which is that I think we're in in a society that is not only systemically unequal, it's also systemically racist and misogynist. And it's something that we have to be honest about. What has become of these people who you worked with? Well, one person who I can say the name of is Louise, who's a, who was in the film of Love, actually, just now. We put her in the film. She's received housing. But, you know, Louise is somebody who's a really great example. She had five children, okay, who's, um, who lived for a year in a B&B, okay, in a room that's really tiny room with five children, of which one is disabled, um, and she was, you know, she was basically tricked by the council, which is what happens quite a lot, because there is no housing. So the council, they're sort of faceless. That's what's important to understand. Louise has now got housing, for now. She's got a little social house with her family, and so she's doing well. And she's continuing to be an advocate and fighting for it. It's a great tragedy that the previous Prime Minister of the United Kingdom said this thing about the big society, right? Now, the, the, real, the reality of the big society is that it was cutting government funding and relying on charities. Now, the result of that is that the actual charities that you're relying on are run by people who are often themselves vulnerable, who are under-resourced. And so it's this sort of outsourcing culture, this idea of, like, creating sort of um, gap walls between oneself and one's responsibility. Well, there has been a policy that has been quite popular on make work pay, and so cutting benefits to people without work, but raising, for example, tax credits for people who, even if they're low income, but they're working. Well, you also have to be realistic about how much these tax credits are. I was on tax credits myself at a period in my life when I was, you know, I didn't make any money from theatre until I was 30. It was very different, but nonetheless, I know what they're like. I've been on them. The truth is that tax credits are a very small amount of money. Um, and, you know, there was a statistic that used to go be bandied around by the Conservative Party that they'd created 2 million new jobs. I know what these jobs are like. I've done them. And I've done them for research, just to be clear, with my previous play, Beyond Caring. They are zero-hour contracts. They are 20-hour contract a week for minimum wage. You can't live on minimum wage in London. So it's this sort of ghettoization of people that are stuck. Again, I come back to this word purgatory. It's a sort of weird result of the way that, that society works today, which is that people are sort of left in a waiting room. 
Because you brought up your last play, Beyond Caring, yeah. uh, which is about zero hours contract yeah. workers. Well, yeah, it's about insecurity, actually. Uh, it's about insecurity, both inner insecurity and the, you know, the insecurity of work. Actually, you know, just to be really clear with you, Clara, like the, the three plays that I'm doing, Beyond Caring, Love, and my next play, uh, which will be on next year, which apparently I've been told I'm not allowed to talk about, but anyway, I'm telling you about it now. Uh, it will be on next year um, in London. It, it will be a sort of third part of this trilogy. They're sort of interrelated, and I think that's a really important thing, is that you know, poverty, austerity, mental health, geography, race, gender, all these things are interrelated. Often it's a combination of factors. But if there's one social thing that yeah. could change, yeah. one sort of policy thing, that yeah. what would it be? Well, it's inequality. It's the most fundamental issue. That's what we're going through. Is that the, the, the fundamental problem is that, you know, we, we all these shocking statistics that no one reacts to, they're disgraceful. I feel it's a human responsibility to fight injustice. It's a necessity. It's part of our fibre as human beings to react to it. And if we don't react to it, something in us is dead. And we have to wake up. Thank you, Alexander. And thank you for listening to OEC Podcasts. I'm Clara Young here at Théâtre Odéon. To listen to other podcasts, visit soundcloud.com slash OECD.